At Cambridge Assessment International Education, we deliver qualifications in more than 10,000 schools and in over 160 countries worldwide. Currently, we have opportunities for teachers to join us as assessment specialists in a wide variety of subjects at Cambridge IGCSE, O-Level and AS and A-Level. Assessment specialists cover a number of roles, including creating exam content, marking answers and moderating candidates' work. Our international reputation for excellence, fairness and reliability rests on the shoulders of assessment specialists. Becoming an assessment specialist is a great professional development opportunity. You will gain a powerful insight into the teaching and assessment of Cambridge qualifications, which you can use to inform your own teaching practice. Understanding exactly how an examination works and what the assessment process is will improve your own teaching in the classroom. With many different opportunities available, there is so much that we can offer. Visit www.cambridgeinternational.org forward slash examiners for more information. Hello there, welcome to another JobPod conversation. Today I'm chatting to Dr Joe Usher who's Assistant Professor in Primary Geography Education and Social, Environmental and Scientific Education at Dublin City University. So welcome to JobPod, Joe. Thanks, William. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to this because when I looked and I, I was reading up about what you've been doing, you started as a primary geography, uh, as a primary school teacher. Prior to that, you were a transport planner in the Department of Transport, Tourism and Sport, as well as um, a planning officer for the National Heritage Council. So what an interesting route into becoming a professor. <laughs> interesting is one way of, uh, of describing it. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, it, was, it, was, it was by accident, I suppose, in a way, as many of these things are. But um, I started out as a, a town planner, um, which is something I, I've always been interested in. Um, I did an undergraduate degree and a, a master's in, in geography and regional urban planning um, and environmental policy. And then I worked with our Department of Transport here in Ireland, um, ass assessing smarter travel uh, initiatives. So things like greenways, which I'm sure you have all over the UK as well, like the repurposing of old railway lines. And um, it'll be different projects that were funded by the department um, on a small scale to see were they actually scalable, like were they worthwhile kind of rolling out on a nationwide basis. Um, so I would have been working as a kind of a, an assessor and evaluator of those projects. Um, and then I also worked in the, the, in the National Heritage Council um, as a planning officer for public realm plans. So like uh, streetscapes, you know, um, urban environments, the whole even just aesthetic uh, look of streets and how to improve them, but uh, for all of the entire public. Um, but anyway, I was working there and we had a bit of a recession in 2008 in Ireland. I don't know if you heard, you, you might've heard about that, but uh, so I actually went back to, to do primary school teaching, uh, which I absolutely loved. And as I was then, when I qualified and as I was teaching in a school in Dublin, um, I began doing part-time lecturing in DCU as well in, in primary geography. Um, and then that's how I kind of 
segued into into where I am today. Um, but I definitely think it had a massive impact in terms of the stuff I did or I have done and I'm doing in terms of primary geography research and the the initiatives I'm involved in uh, linking back to, I suppose, my, my town planning background. I think quite often children get forgotten in that whole process. You see townscapes being re-engineered and then children move in and use the space in an entirely different way from the way that the planners intended. But you've really neatly woven local area town planning and children's participation in the process. And you actually, that's part of your doctoral thesis, I think, yes? Yeah, like, I suppose a big influence on uh, I remember actually reading work by Simon Catling um, and Tess Willey on, um, I think it's their their book. They had two books, but the, the most recent edition was the 2018 um, Understanding and Teaching uh, Primary Geography. But they, Simon has done work before on accessible streets and accessible public areas. And I suppose like a big part of our curriculum in, in Ireland in geography is uh, developing empathy for other people in the in your community and understanding different needs and different wants, I suppose, that getting children to think outside of their own perspectives. And that reading that piece and looking at and I know the GA had published um, a series of lessons on it as well. Um, on looking at your local area and how to improve it for accessibility or how you know issues that might occur for different users of the public space that really spoke to home to me in terms of my own background as well I've taught in schools where there's been children in wheelchairs and been very progressive they've had a, a wheelchair on yard uh, for other children to use to play with other children to see from that perspective so they're actually not almost as a toy but actually to, to understand how those children are getting about and to, to speak at that level and and to to play with them but yeah sorry so that was a massive impact uh, in terms of looking back and thinking about the relevance of, of I suppose the everyday geography, like you know, the children's own experiences. Children are users, are public space users. Uh, they are commuters. They are transport users. They should have a right uh, to actually input into the de- design and delivery of public services because they actually are public service users. Um, but that doesn't happen. Um, and I can go off on a massive rant here, John, on, on why I, I, I kind of, developed the doctoral thesis the way I did and it's kind of I don't know if you want me to or not or do you want me to to, to explain my my kind of conceptual background to come up with that idea no do it's fascinating (laughs) (laughs) so so basically yeah basically in in Ireland so to, to begin with um, we have a, a curriculum that was developed in 1999, and it is, along with history, it's the only subject area of the curriculum which has never been reviewed on a national uh, basis, has never been, uh, there's never been any, you know, government-sponsored research into finding out how has it been implemented, how has it been uh, received on the ground by teachers, by pupils, um, and that kind of, I suppose, will highlight the position of geography in terms of uh, the, the rank of it, its importance uh, as regards to what policymakers think in Ireland anyway. Um, so the first aspect of, of, of my, my doctoral thesis was to see, well, how is geography being taught in Ireland? Um, because we have anecdotal evidence, we have small-scale qualitative uh, research, which all hints towards, I suppose, a, a dominance of textbooks, uh, a dominance of teaching about distant places rather than the local area. 
but we didn't have any definitive kind of hard data on that. So I did a, a nationwide survey um i got over a thousand and thirteen responses which was scalable and supposedly generalizable to the wider teacher population in ireland and what i found was basically that it was about 75 percent of teachers teach between one and five lessons on the local area almost 10 percent don't teach about the local area at all 60 percent of teachers don't do any field work in geography so which is kind of stark uh and and striking kind of data to, to come across but yet it's kind of unsurprising too you'd have 36 geography lessons a year in primary schools in ireland 36 weeks teaching one lesson a week is how the curriculum kind of allocates the time and um, so to teach only between one and five lessons on the local area considering the emphasis that our curriculum puts on the local area it, it doesn't align at all so there's a huge kind of mismatch in terms of what the curriculum says and what policy says in terms of our irish education and geography and what actually takes place and um, there's a far more of a, a dominance on learning about distant places learning through textbooks and as one teacher said i suppose the reason i don't teach about the local area is because that's just it i don't think about it i use the textbook to guide my uh, my teams that i teach and local areas are generally not on a generic textbook because they're so specific to that school so therefore i don't even consider that you forget she said you tend to forget there's a whole environment out there which is actually like quite profound but quite depressing also but anyway so that was one aspect there's there's a lack of a teaching of a local area uh, happening in, in irish primary geography in, in schools um, and then on the other element then is we have our very progressive policies in terms of town planning in, in ireland um, and in terms of the national strategy for children and young people's decision making uh, participation in decision making we have our local area planning guidelines in ireland stipulate that children and this is the kind of caveat children or groups representing children should have the right to have an have a say on decisions made in their local area that affect them okay so on local area plans children or groups represented children should be consulted and should have some way of collecting or, or hearing their voices and feeding back then decisions made in the local area planning process um, but that doesn't happen at all. Planners haven't gone through the planning, I suppose, you know, education as well in terms of a third level uh, undergraduate degree and a master's. We were never, ever taught about how to consult children or teenagers or young people and having interviewed planners as part of this doctoral thesis, one of whom did a master's in public consultation children were not mentioned on it, which is absolutely shocking too. So we have a, a mismatch there in terms of our, our policy and practice. We have the national strategy for children and young people's participation in decision making. Priority one, which uh, stipulates that children should have a right to have an impact and a voice on decisions made in their local communities and local areas. It doesn't happen. It ha if it does happen, it happens tokenistically or it happens kind of in, not on a broad scale, kind of one off uh, little initiatives here and there. So my idea for this thesis then and this doctoral thesis was to kill two birds with one stone, in essence, where we get teachers to teach lessons. Uh, I designed eight lessons um, based on one local area and um, there was the town planners in the local council were actually going to develop uh, a local area plan for that area and i i basically put invitations out to all three schools in that local locality all three primary schools to get involved in the project and um, so i had 
five primary school classes out of those three schools, uh, senior classes, so children aged 10 to 12. Their teachers taught the eight lessons uh, on the local area, two of which were, were fieldwork lessons. And then they would feed back to the planners in terms of recommendations they had for opportunities and for issues on their local area and how to improve it. And that these would then be considered for the local area plan. So that was the, the, the way basically of merging children's participation um, and also by actually getting them to develop geographical understanding skills uh, based in an authentic context that would help inform their own views and opinions that they could feed back to the planners. So that, that's kind of how that worked. The, both the planners and the teachers said that you know, the series of lessons and focusing on that everyday, oh, not on mundane is the wrong word, but the everyday kind of environments that we have. So it was all based on, it was, a, it was a small town and the focus was on the public realm in one in the first four lessons. So they'd look at the street, dipped curbs, blister paving, uh, cycle lane provision, benches, public benches for, you know, long stretches of road. So from one school into the village centre was exactly a kilometre uh, there was no place for resting for people who were walking from those uh, housing estates on the outer skirts of the town. Uh, there wasn't enough space for a cycle lane or was there? Could they actually see? Was there space to, to design an area of a cycle lane? There was terrible crossing points where there was no dip curbing. Where, so like there was certain things for them to look at, um, but it was just looking at taking one street in one local area and seeing what's good about it and also what could be improved. So there's good elements too that they had to, to identify as well and to redesign then the street to make it a little bit better. And then the same thing then applied to, there was a new provision for developing a new public space. So a community uh, development site, which was to be for all public, like a public park. And there's stipulations about what that might include. So the children were to do a site visit there they, uh, they would have done interviews with local people. So there was an interview kind of research task built into each of the lessons where they'd go and interview someone, be it their piano teacher or their GAA or hurling coach or someone who's not in the same age bracket as them from a different background. Could they interview them to find out what their perspectives were on a certain element of the local area, what they'd like to improve um, and to bring that back to class and to collate all the findings together and see kind of what the community needs are here. I know I'm just after ranting away for about 10 minutes there, John, maybe longer. Sorry. Well, I don't think it's any, any difference here in England. Uh, when I was at the Geographical Association, I, um, I took part in a project that was funded by the Paul Hanlon Foundation. And I worked with Dr. Sue Birmingham from Manchester Met University. And it, it was called Making My Place in the World. We weren't working with primary school children. We were working with with secondary school disaffected children from Y10. That was the idea. But we, we took in Y9s and Y10s. It was about working with young people to, to encourage them to take pride in themselves and their community as active citizens. That was the idea. It was to increase their literacy. Even the students weren't sure it was geography to start with. I had Dwayne saying to me, is this geography? Is this geography, John? And I said, well, are we using a map? Are we looking at how things uh, might, be, might be made better? He went through an, an interesting transition because we were looking at how we, we might investigate this place. And uh, the first thing he did was he said, I'd, I'd, we'd, given them, um, we'd given them iPads. He said, oh, I'm, going to take a, I'm going to take a photograph of this dog dirt then. And I think he was just winding me up. But I said, well, 
Well, you can, you know, because I've just read an academic piece on um, the distribution of dog feces in Gothenburg, and it's relating to whether there are, there's more dog mess in areas that are more poverty stricken compared to areas that are, are more wealthy. Ooh, he says, ooh, ooh. The realisation that he was doing geography and it was about his local place and it was about him having a voice was really one of the most significant things about that whole project. I, I got a great deal out of it. And he said to me at the end of the project, you don't really know a place until you've listened to other people talking about it because he looked at that place with different people's, from different people's perspectives. And you talked about that, the bumply pavement, so that when you got to a, an edge, you know that you might be just about ready to cross a dangerous road. But all of those sorts of things he hadn't considered as being geography. And that was the most important thing, I think, was making, was encouraging them to understand that the geography of their local was really, was really important and that their view was important and their place was important. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. Um, and it is so similar as well. And it kind of reminds me of, I read a, a book recently, uh, well, recently, it was probably about three years ago at this stage, but it was John Bale, 1987, Geography in Primary Schools. And I was saying, I was reading that, I was saying nothing has changed, like nothing has changed. Um, like he advocates for linking in with authentic uh, context, including town planning. He talks about personal geographies and family geographies, which links to like, you know, children's own living geographies or like everyday geographies, as Fran Martin would say as well. Like there's so many connections. We know kind of what frustrates me kind of in my position sometimes is that I say like, how much more research do we need to tell us the best way that children learn or the best way of connecting geography to real life, uh, everyday lives and, uh, uh, and, and getting policymakers to see the importance of geography. We know all these things. We just have to actually get out there and actually shake some down some branches. I don't know, like do, make some moves. It's, it's, it's quite frustrating because like that whole, like, that whole idea of not recognizing the geography in that everyday life, not recognizing that basically the decisions we make when we get up in the morning, how we get to school, uh, what lunch we eat, what clothes we wear, is all linked to geography. And it's getting teachers to see that. Uh, whereas in Ireland, we have a tradition, um, and it was interesting because before I, I did the, uh, before the children uh, participated in those, those eight lessons, they did a survey on basically you know, their attitudes towards geography. Uh, they also had to describe their, you know, favourite uh, way of learning geography and, and a, a favourite lesson and their least favourite way of learning geography and their least favourite lesson. 97% of them or something like this uh, off the top of my head said that their least favourite way of learning was, or their least favourite lesson was learning about lakes, rivers, mountains and counties because in Ireland we do this lovely activity where we wrote, memorise the blank map of here's a blank map of Ireland, fill in all the lakes, fill in all the counties, fill in all the label, rote memorization. And then we've other children there, like in the vast minority, about describing lessons that they love. I love learning about the counties and the rivers because I have a really good memory. So I win all those competitions. Like, so what is geography? And I have these great discussions with student teachers then in DCU because they've all gone through this experience. And what we actually do is we look at the curriculum and the 1999 Irish curriculum says mere rote memorization of place names and physical features does little uh, and contributes very little to the learning process. 
and that's written in black and white. And then I look at, I take out three different textbooks that are used in primary schools today, and they're all advocate, they're all blank maps, uh, labels, you know, like close the page, try to remember, like do a Friday tests on the, the counties of Leinster and this kind of thing. And those, those student teachers have all gone through that experience as well. And they say, hang on, why, why did we do this when we, it's not on the curriculum? And, and I said, in what scenario are you going to be in a car going on a staycation from Dublin to Kerry? And dad turns around and says, oh, I forgot the roadmap and Google Maps isn't working. Here's a blank map of Ireland. Who can tell me how I'm going to get down to Kerry for the holiday? Like, they, what scenario does this happen? You know, it, it doesn't. So, so getting children and getting teachers to see about the importance of understanding places, understanding how places are as they are. And I think that town planning, for me personally, as, as an authentic link to, to everyday, I suppose, geography um, and making that, I suppose, relevant to teachers in the classroom and children is the best authentic context to put it in because you know roads and transport and footpaths and shops and town centers and even countryside is not the way it is for by accident it's all decisions that were made by people through the planning process and it's all decisions that are made for purposes of sustainability uh, for purposes of biodiversity, for purposes of, um, you know, eco economy, every, like there's so much in that to unpack and to look at that impacts decision-making. And if children can learn about that, it helps them to realize, I suppose, how the world actually works and maybe how it could work better. And that idea, sorry, again, to go back to what you're saying about not recognizing it as geography, what triggered that for me by talking about John Bale is that he says as well in 1987, this whole idea of segregating subject into subject areas, like he's advocating for a more holistic approach to teaching. And um, because if you actually, if everyone's in their old silos, that does not actually contribute to children understanding the world. It actually, you know, like the, the fact that uh, they're doing geography now and then they're doing science in, in an hour's time. And does that actually do those two link in in any way a, a more of a holistic kind of approach project-based problem-based uh, learning is what i would advocate for and there's serious integration opportunities there to be had in the kind of a project you're talking about there and in the work i've done as well and um, so it's getting teachers to recognize that as well i'm um, sorry john again no i think that's a bit of a leap for some non-geographers when i did my degree there wasn't that emphasis on place that's come more recently, I think, where I wouldn't have recognised that sort of geography. And when I first started teaching, I hadn't come across this new concept. Well, it was new to me about place and belonging. And I think there are many teachers who are not, geograph who are not geographers mm. who are teaching in primary schools and in secondary schools, for that matter, who still would be like the, that pupil who said to me, I don't know whether this is geography. That, that is that's exactly it um and not recognizing it as geography because in those like so that's 60 percent of teachers in ireland who don't do field work they say the reason they don't do it along with like health and safety concerns is there's no resources to use what resources what what approaches do i use and um, the same way those those 72 percent who only teach one to five lessons in the local area they say well, you know, a lack of resources and a lack of a lack of content knowledge is are the two main issues for them. And they talk about resources as in like one 
teacher said, it's not like I can go online and download a PowerPoint for teaching about the local area and that's it done. I have to create the resources myself. I have to recognize these things myself. And it's because there's no, no framework there in their head anyway for them to actually to highlight these things to them. They don't see it. They, they're so dependent on... Because, and he, he said, I'm not a geography professor. I don't have that background, which is fair as well. And you're teaching 12 other subjects in many cases in, in Ireland anyway. So how do you actually, you know, you're, you're, you're going off maybe the textbook, which is the wrong way to go anyway. If you looked at the curriculum, it would show you examples of what maybe could be done at a local level. But it's about trying to guide teachers towards that way of thinking, I think. You've also developed quite an interest in, in game-based learning, which I thought was fascinating when I was reading it. You've been using Minecraft, haven't you? Yeah, and like, I suppose this is the same, the same kind of thing because it's what we're doing with the Minecraft is nothing new. Like, so the Minecraft itself is, is a, the tool or the vehicle for children to actually communicate their, their learning and their findings and their ideas uh, the same way maybe they might draw make a map or make some drawings or a poster presentation and um, it's just a different tool to use now obviously there's a lot of spatial skills in, in that as well and you develop a lot of scale and um, there's a lot of collaboration it's a great actual tool for that I was actually having a discussion with, with some other colleague at work there and they're saying about game-based learning and what does it mean and you know surely like it's kind of is it not a bit gimmicky you know minecraft lego is it not like you know the children are just you know they're playing and they're not really learning and and i said well maybe the way i would see it is purposeful game-based learning but like, there has to be a reason for why they're using it they're not just using minecraft for the sake of of using minecraft and it's not just it's game-based learning that doesn't mean they're just playing a game they're actually using the technology so um what we've done is uh or what we did and what we do is we create it's minecraft education edition which is important to say so it's nothing to, you don't have these scenarios where it's an invading you know group come and invade your whatever you're building or there's no night and day or extreme weather conditions it's like it's set at basically one world it's pure flat it's all daylight all the time and it's friendly so there's no yeah, there's no kind of zombies and all these I, these kind of, I, I have no idea about that aspect of minecraft but the children tell me all this anyway um so the children all have this flat basically blank canvas and they have to build whatever it is we're looking at so the, if they're looking at their local area so in that future the future is mine was an all-ireland our Irish competition with Minecraft and RTE, our national broadcaster. Basically, children had to look at their local areas and build their local area on Minecraft in and, and include more sustainability or sustainable features in it. So they had to do an investigation on their local area firstly to see, I suppose, are there any elements of sustainable uh, transport or uh, even jobs or uh, like what elements of biodiversity are supported in their area, anything like that, and see maybe what areas could be improved. And then they would build their local area through Minecraft to scale was the idea. So many, many classes went out with trundle wheels, measured buildings, or used the Google Earth measurement tool uh, to measure the length of buildings in the area of parks and whatnot, and actually then rebuilt these in Minecraft on a scale of one block is to one meter collaboratively because of the nature of minecraft i could be working here in 
in Minute in Ireland where I am and you could be I can't remember where you said you were based today John it's down the south of England is it I'm in Hastings yes at the yeah moment. so you could be in Hastings and we could be both working on this collaborating on the same project here I could see you on my screen and we could actually be building something together so the children could do this in class you know on laptops and uh, tablets and also some children then were taking it home and doing it contributing more at home and there was a lot of peer learning uh, going on there but yeah, it was it was fascinating to see, you know, like there's a lot of coding involved as well in Minecraft if you want to build anything to scale. Um, so there's that element of digital learning that's important for children as well in this day and age. Uh, but they're doing all this through for, for a purpose and through a context. So they're actually, in many cases, many teach many children actually they invited tiny towns representatives or local councillors or local planners into their classrooms to talk to them about the plans for the local area and how it's going to develop in the future. And maybe then the children would actually incorporate these into their own plans, into their own Minecraft builds, or think about maybe improving that again. So like you had like phenomenal, phenomenal um, projects by classes in terms of what they built, building uh, biomass um, centers, building hydroelectric, dams on, on their local river and linking that, you know, uh, fresh water drinking, uh, living roofs, like biodiversity, um, parks and all sorts of just like, like changing the diet of local cows in their local area to reduce methane gas. And there was all sorts of different ideas that they had, but they were using, they were, they were developing serious geographical and not just geographical knowledge, but knowledge on in terms of science, in terms of sustainability, in terms of um, modern technologies uh, for creating more environmentally friendly local areas, basically, and getting them to think about maybe how they could apply that at local context. So they're, they're, they're acting globally in a local way and they loved it. Um, and the teachers all basically said the same thing as well, that it was much more they were facilitating it. And the children were leading it and it's that same idea same with the town planning uh, project as well where the, the children were actually taking a lead once they found out that they were going to get to present these ideas and the people wanted to hear what they had to say and once they actually reached out to their community and actually interviewed people and people are actually were happy to share their opinions and to challenge them a little bit and they would challenge their parents as well and whoever else they were talking to it just becomes a much more kind of real real life projects that it, it motivates them um inherently as well so i think i think i don't know yeah it was it was it was, uh, it was very worthwhile doing the problem with that minecraft project that are the, the, the future is mine competition is it was designed uh, so i was invited as a judge to look at it at the end but that was only by happenstance because i happened to have done a project and published something on using geography with minecraft they had never considered this to be geography, what the children were actually doing. So this is all linked to STEM and they saw it as science, um, which it is. It, there are elements of science to it as well, but like, there's no getting away from the fact that that is a predominantly geography-based project. Um, but the fact that policymakers, the fact that the ones running the competition, nobody saw this as this is the geography curriculum in primary schools. Like it's a massive kind of downfall then in terms of actually I'm going retrospectively going no no what you did there was actually excellent geography yeah I don't know how you, you well there you go it. it's seeing that thread of geography through and people who are non-specialists don't necessarily think that's geography at all 
I found the planners were really keen to get involved, but didn't know what, didn't know how. We did this well in the days before podcasts. So I took a, a Philips voice recorder and uh, we talked about what we wanted them to say. And then they they did short pieces for the students so that the students could listen to it, even if they weren't there. And we had three or four planners who came in when we were doing the, uh, the Making My Place in the World project because we worked across several areas. But in each area, the planners were very keen to get their perspective over, over why things happen the way they do. What was interesting, some of the students were coming up with things like, why have you left the bottom end of the high street in poor condition? This is where all the old folks go and it's still not very nice. And the plan- when the, one of the planners came from the town council, he was saying, we can only do what we do when we've got finance coming in from business. And they're the ones that set the agenda. And when we tack on at the edge what we want them to do, they'll do their improvements and we'll say, you can have, you can improve here as long as you do this, that and the other. He said, we haven't got any money for the bottom end and we have no money. That was an eye opener for the students thinking, well, Mm. surely the council will just spend money on these. So all of that economics came into it as well. It was sort of economic geography. Why do some areas get some money funded? And others don't get anything because it wasn't seen as geographically as accessible, as likely to be worth developing. Yeah. Lots of unintended consequences, I think, from that, which which opened up the eyes of the of those students. That's really interesting. Yeah, like the, the, I'm thinking back to even with, with that project in in the the local area planning, like as well. The children, one thing they did is they mapped their um, routes to school and how they travelled. They were having massive conversations around. Uh, so I would have had three, a three maps of the local area printed out, but each class got a, a master plan map, which would be like A0. Um, so where they'd collate their findings or their maps of issues would all go on that, basically, and they'd come up with a key. But one thing they were mapping was the routes to school and then also the idea of children who are the best at finding shortcuts uh, so true housing estates that aren't permeable pedestrian wise, where like children would have to walk over a kilometre and a half to get around out, you know, out of one housing estate around to the other to get a bus stop when they could just hop a fence and a wall. So when they actually map these out, then the planners could actually say, OK, we'll make it we'll make a hole in that wall there. We'll make a which was like so simple, but so like profound as well are so uh, like striking and uh, another thing they looked at in terms of then the complexity of decision making and critical thinking what you're talking about there in terms of like that it's not there's not a simple yes no answer there's like finance involved or there's other decisions to be made uh, one of the schools there was no cycle lane. there was one footpath on one side of the road the whole way up from the the village center up to the, the school which is kind of relatively relatively new building and there was there was a, an avenue. So there's the, the footpath. And then between the footpath and the road, there was like a, a grass patch with trees planted. They were looking at this street and they were saying, right, how would we fit a cycle lane here to encourage more of us to cycle and scoot to school? There, the, the option they came up with was we either chop down all the trees, remove the grass area and put the cycle lane there on that grassy area because it's still off the road. 
or else we leave the trees the way they are. And the debate that was being described by the teachers and by the children afterwards was like hilarious, but also like really, really uh, like I, I just find like that's exactly what I wanted them to get out of this project. So with they were a green school. So in Ireland, we have this green schools initiative where schools um you know do different uh, projects and uh, learn about you know like so one one flag, a green school flag on transport. We'll be looking at how do we try how do we how do we all get to school um you know transport in our local area, how could we make it more environmentally friendly? And they get a flag for that. And then another thing might be looking at their, you know, their food production or whatever it is they get. Like, so green schools is a big thing. And yeah, so they were saying we're supposedly a green school, but we're advocating for the chopping down of trees here and the removal of a grass patch for a cycle lane, which is more sustainable. And they were trying to figure out, well, how many trees, you know, observe how much carbon dioxide per year. And they're trying to justify as well. Well, on the far side of the road, there's no footpath, but there's a hedgerow and there's trees there. And so what they eventually came to the conclusion of was that they were going to remove the trees here. So they're going to chop down about 54 trees over the space of this kilometer to make space for this, this, um, this cycle lane. But they were going to in place plant loads of um, biodiversity boxes on the, the wall. So, you know, hanging over the wall basically uh, to increase biodiversity in the area and to make it look nicer and that in the long term better transport or more sustainable ways of getting to school for uh, 300 children is better uh, for the environment than maybe having trees and having lots of cars so uh, it was just interesting to see kind of how they they got to that that answer for themselves and then presenting this idea to the, the planners as well and getting them to to feedback was just really interesting uh, but the complexity of it all is kind of where the learning occurs, I think, where they have to actually argue for or against certain things using knowledge that they actually have attained. Uh, so it's not just sharing an opinion for the sake of sharing an opinion and being argumentative for the sake of being argumentative. There has to be data or knowledge or understanding or conceptual understanding behind that. Um, it has to be an informed opinion, I think, is an, an important point to make. You and I, 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 we're both advocates of this sort of, of approach to geography. And when I was doing that project, I went to a, a number of places to do presentations. It's what Paul Hamlin asked us to do, to present the, the findings and the value of it. And I came across one group. There must have been 10 different schools there. And the general opinion was that looking at the local area was boring. And they weren't interested. Honestly, that I think that, that was the overwhelming opinion. I only got it the once, but it was it was a bit of an eye opener for me. Do you ever face that? How do you how do you create that need to know amongst teachers who are resistant to the idea of, of looking at the local area? How do you create a need to know amongst teachers? Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the challenge there. Creating a need to know amongst pupils was a lot easier in terms of actually and that's yeah like as a stimulus for for that project there um i actually we had a, a short video clip on what time planning was and introducing them to the idea of time planning and how that affects everything in your local area to get them thinking about how geography is relevant to time planning for teachers though i actually find this as well for even for student teachers in, in university there when I, if I was to present them basically with the idea of 
oh, looking at your footpaths and your uh, you know street, your public realm space, and how it could be improved for X, Y, Z. I would get a bit of that going, right? Okay. Um, and I have done that like so like two years ago because we were online. I was sharing a lot of this, I was teaching a lot of this stuff online. And this year was actually uh, one of the first years I got to take them out. So I took them out to a street in Dublin, a random street outside of the, the university in Drumcondra in the in North uh, Dublin City. And we literally looked at it the same way these children in this other project were looking at their local area, a, a town um, outside of Dublin. The students were actually, uh, well, maybe they're just telling me this because, you know, I like to hear it, but they're saying how they're, they're actually mind blown because they'd lived in this area. These are fourth year students. They'd been in, in this area of Dublin for four years living in it, and they'd never looked at the street in this way. And they never thought about crossing roads and they never thought about buggies or wheelchairs or uh you know surfaces or bin provision or like dog fouling like you were talking about earlier like the simplest simple things or i have a banana peel in my hand where do i put it in the bin is there a comp you know the local cafe does compostable cups where's the compostable bins there's no bin provision for that so get them thinking about there's there's so much on that one stretch of of road that's not even like a, a main street in in a busy town it's just a side street that they could actually take and apply what they all talked about and what the teachers and the planners talked about and what i was kind of hoping for was the applicability of that other areas around ireland like that it's like oh i could actually do that at home now I could do that with the school I taught in on placement there in County Monaghan or wherever they were, that they could then see it. But I think they have to actually experience it first for them to, to see the relevance of it, which is unfortunate in, in a way. But I, I, like, I suppose it's not surprising because I don't know, like otherwise, when you're when you're presenting these things to them, it's all fine and well, I think, like, again, another thing I did this year because of Zoom was I actually with my classes in, in DCU is I, I Zoom called different primary classes around the country where I know some of this stuff is happening, where I know the teachers and the children presented to the students about stuff that they had done in, in their local area. And the students were like, like mind mind blown basically again because they're like we hear you talk about this joe in class but it's it's one thing hearing about it it's another thing seeing it happen or listen hearing it from the, the horse's mouth in the case of the children and actually and also it, it it going back to what you're talking about as well about recognizing the geography but also recognizing the kind of holistic approach because where we what we do in initial teacher education is we're trying to build up their the teacher skills in terms of planning and delivering a solid geography lesson so it's they're planning for geography with me they're planning for history with someone else they're planning for science with someone else and when they're in placement they have to have separate plans for each subject area and then they look at a project like this where the children and the the teachers are presenting back to them and they say well how would you divide that into a geography lesson you know a literacy lesson uh, an oral language uh, persuasive writing whatever whatever it is and they're saying okay grand i see the bigger picture now it's not all about different silos of subject areas yeah. it's about you know merging it all together but i suppose the thing that shouldn't be lost there is that it's led by geography and it's underpinned by geography and that's where our subject area i think falls down because it, it's a gift and a curse we are the the ultimate integrator subject where we are everything geography is everything and then geography is nothing as well so it's it, it becomes 
too vague sometimes to actually grasp and and that's where I think people fail to see teachers fail to see the connections when we think that they're obvious you have a framework because as me as a as a non-geographer I'm a non-geographer I've listened to this and I've listened to you describing the the questions that you may ask on the street and I'm thinking god that sounds really good about having a clue where to start do you have a framework that you could share that either you share with your students or you could share with teachers who listen to this podcast. Here, here are some questions that you might ask. I don't, uh, it's not something I created myself. The actual primary curriculum in Ireland has excellent uh, inquiry questions, investigation questions on place. They have about 32 questions that you can ask that are big inquiry questions that would obviously, you know, they're umbrella questions that could be uh, you know, subdivided into to further questions. But I, I actually show them this in an exemplar. But simple, so like if you're like, I don't know if you're talking about like an actual framework. I have a conceptual framework for actually why you would actually do this. So underpinned by the, the likes of John Dewey and his work, um, as well as the curriculum, as well as the policies around it. But, you know, and Laura Lundy's framework for uh, her model for participation. I don't know if you know that, that if you're aware of that model. No. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of publish this framework actually now um, in the next few weeks, but basically Laura Lundy uh, is a lecturer in Queens University, Belfast, and her whole area is about participation and children's participation. I know I'm saying I'm gone off your point here, John, but um, it's it's actually really, really important in terms of what we're, we're talking about here. She's done a lot of work with the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child and Article 12, that participation article, so that children should have the right to be consulted and participate in, in decisions that affect them. Um, and she doesn't necessarily come at it from an educational perspective, uh, but it's more it's a rights based perspective. So her framework is about that children should be given the space uh, to actually form opinions and to share ideas. They should be given a, a voice, so an opportunity to actually share their voice, but a voice means actually giving them an audience also, and then influence. So the, so the audience that they're actually are speaking to, that their audience that they're sharing their ideas on whatever it is that they're, they're participating in needs to be an audience that ha- is willing to listen to them and willing to take their ideas on board, not necessarily implement them, but listen to them, take them seriously, and then has influence. So that audience has influence in terms of is it, is actual a power, you know, has, has powerful influence in terms of policy or in terms of practice. Um, so this was kind of the, those four spheres of space, voice, audience and influence was what I based um, that whole project, that doctoral thesis on in terms of that I used the children's school, their classroom, the the geography curriculum was the space. Um, So I thought that this is the optimal space for children's participation in local area planning to take place. Because in Ireland, less than 1% of children don't go to mainstream school. So you have the broadest perspective, the broadest range of all voices uh, is the most democratic way to actually consult children rather than going to the local rugby club or the local hurling club or the local basketball club or whoever it is you're going to automatically leave children out through you know selection bias or whatever it is so if you can consult children i know barry percy for friend percy smith says schools are not the optimal place because 
uh, schools are where children learn to conform and they're scared to share their opinions or whatever. I would argue that maybe he's speaking more towards second level because in primary level, these schools and like one thing that all the participation schools in this project said is that it aligned with their ethos. Their ethos is about dem democratic learning. Their ethos is about teaching children about civics and uh, about you know decision making. 21st century skills, all this as well, but community uh, is what makes a school and, and, and so the school is the best site for that, the best space for it. The voice then, the children's own voice is informed by their geographical understanding, the skills that they develop and the knowledge they attain through those fieldwork lessons, through engaging with the local community, through learning about um, sustainable travel or whatever it is that they're, they're focusing on in that. And then uh, audience, is the town planners. So the town planners and the local authority who are willing to listen to them and think, okay, how can we actually, you know, can we actually implement that? Is that a, an actual attainable and reasonable suggestion uh, or not? You know, maybe it isn't. Um, and they have the influence then to write that local area plan, but they would come back and feedback to the children and say, you know, you want, you proposed X, Y, and Z, and we have implemented X, but not Y and Z because of you know, la la la, and explain to them the decision process. And that is the fundamental, that, that's the whole the whole process there in, in a nutshell. So I have a framework on that, sorry, but I know that's not considered with teachers <laughs> and inquiry-based uh, learning because one of the main problems, I suppose, with participation of children in local decision-making, especially the planning process, is the idea of making planning-friendly, planner-friendly format suggestions so it's so ad hoc there's no formal way of them to, for, for children to actually input into it it's a very legal procedure in terms of like if you or i want to I presume it's the same in the uk if i want to uh, submit a make a submission on a local area plan there's a specific form for me to fill in on the website and i upload it or email it or whatever it is but it's 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 jargonistic it's um it's kind of inaccessible for children so how do we make it accessible for children, but also in a formal format that planners can understand? That was kind of what I did. So I had the children would write a report afterwards with recommendations. So issue, recommendation, and they might have sketch, they might have a map, they might have pictures of what they think should go there or how this might be improved. But that was the kind of format that they did. Um, and they, they submitted a map afterwards as well. The Minecraft thing, like there's a block by block project that's been done in various countries where the, uh, not just children, but teenagers and, and disadvantaged communities are actually using that as the as a planner friendly format They build their ideas in Minecraft and submit that to the planners and the planners could see what they wanted or what they were suggesting. The same way as well, there's an, another another uh, project I'm aware of in uh, Norway as well where they've done something similar with digital mapping. Um, sorry, but anyway, that, that's... No, um, I think that's fascinating. I, like the, I, I really do like the idea of, of bringing the messiness of real life to young people and, and the, the wicked problems that they face. Quite often, too many simulations have got one right answer dangling in there, and the clever students know that, so they're not bothered about going through the process because well, there's only one right answer because the, the way that it's been conceived is so that they get to the right answer. Whereas with what you were suggesting with the path, it's, it's really complex, really knotty. So they've got that understanding of real world 
difficulty, but they've also got um, a purpose. We're actually going to present this to a real person, not to the teacher who isn't a real person anyway, because they go into the stockroom at the end of the day and lock themselves in, and 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 that's it. Because teachers aren't real people; they uh, not when you <laughs> live, they live in a cupboard and they come out and they teach you here and there. What? How do your pupils make sense of the data then? How have you felt that they've they've managed the complexity of it all? The pupils in these projects. So what what they did was well, for instance, with their with their interviews that they would have done um, with people from the local area on how to improve the public realm. They would come back to class and the teacher would give them 10, 15 minutes in their groups to share what they actually found in their interviews. And they'd have a three pages where they'd, I suppose, kind of broadly, you know, write down themes that emerged from those interviews. So to collate that data, that is like seriously challenging, uh, you know, form of learning. But what they're doing is so if uh, you know, my the person I interviewed mentioned about you know the footpath or mentioned about the lack of uh, bins, or whatever. We'd write that down, and we'd ha- eventually have a list of four areas that we've looked at that everybody kind of had fed into, um, and there were the issues. Then we'd look at, and we and then they might, well, in one case, like one class, it was all over to the children to to actually lead this, and the teachers were very much the facilitators, which some of them were initially uncomfortable with, but then they actually loved. Um, but the, the children would then divide into groups. So one group is going to look at the footpath provision and the dipped curbs and the blister paving and the, the crossroads. Another group is going to look at, um, you know, bin waste provision on the street or um, seating provision or whatever it is like that, or, or transport like different cycle lanes and whatnot. Um, so they split into groups to help them out to actually tackle the problem better. But to, for making sense, it was all about collaboration. I'm not sure I answered that one great, but... <laughs> it worked for me. <laughs> Harry, uh, I know we're running, uh, running short on time here as well. We never run short on time. Yeah. You've written a, a bit about your concern for whether geography is lost, but we talked here about wonderful aspects of geography that certainly isn't lost. So if we finish on a... A positive note, where do you see geography going in Ireland and what can we learn from what you're doing with your pupils? That's a good question. Like the, where do I see geography going in Ireland? At the minute, we are uh, re, rewriting and uh, relaunching a new curriculum for primary school in Ireland. So all subject areas. And it seems to be still going in the way of a a holistic broad-based curriculum which is good to see uh, because there have been policy developments where numeracy and literacy have been at the very forefront and an actual circular went around from the department of education only a few years back to say to tell teachers to devote more time to numeracy and literacy um, at the expense of important but less or important but yeah no it was it was i was to prioritize other areas which are important but ultimately less important than numeracy and literacy um, and they highly they pinpointed history and geography as that so history and geography were actually given less time in the curriculum in the last four or five years again at the behest of of literacy and numeracy and that has not been uh, hasn't been reinstated 
Uh, and then also like we have CPD, I don't know, professional learning for teachers. Uh, this is a negative kind of uh, point again, basically, but this year uh, the department are not sanctioning any professional learning outside of literacy, numeracy and SEN because they say that other areas, including geography, are oversubscribed or overprovided for. But yet two years ago, there was 1,500 courses in professional learning provided for in Ireland for primary school teachers like offered. And out of those 1,500, 33 courses were in geography. So how is that over provided? I don't know. That, that kind of thing is worrying. But at the same time, I think there are opportunities um, to actually influence policy a little bit more. We, we are getting... I suppose, limped in with, with history and social studies now in this new curriculum and what it looks like. We are given an adamant or a, a somewhat decent amount of time um, on the curriculum and like whether that materialises in the classroom or not. What I would be saying is we have a great opportunity here for if we're going to launch a new curriculum, we get to see what that actually looks like, but we've got opportunity for teachers are going to need professional learning to actually implement that curriculum. So we've a good opportunity here to, to deliver proper, powerful professional learning in terms of geography, rather than what has happened in previous years in Ireland, in the case of where they were given three hours in a hotel. Um, and that was a professional learning for the whole geography curriculum. Hopefully we can do better uh, next time. But with initiatives such as the, the Lego education and the Minecraft, we are kind of hopefully getting more of a, a recognition of the, the relevance of geography and the importance of it. I mean, climate change, these uh, Ukraine, uh, COVID-19, they're issues that are pervasive in our everyday lives and the media can only be understood through geography and only be addressed through geography. So the more people who recognise that, the better. Well, you've got a, a primary geography article called uh, Critical Multicultural Geography, Moving Beyond the 4S. You haven't mentioned it, so I thought I would be confident, <laughs> because I think it's a really good framework. It's a very powerful tool. But that, 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 that tool as well is, is to, get, to get teachers to think about what resources they use to, to present and to present a, a distant place to children but also to get children to actually learn about a distant place and it could also be used with children to actually critique the likes of their text their own textbook or whatever resource they're actually using in class to get them thinking about you know how, how this place is being presented to them or not being presented to them and um, get them thinking about multiple perspectives get them thinking about a positive portrayal or a negative portrayal of a place um, that framework is, yeah, it's pretty simple, um, I think, but it, it kind of kind of lead some uh, lead some powerful powerful learning, and it kind of stems from a lot of where it came from. I wrote it with, with Leslie Burnett. Um, I, it also it came from basically experiences of seeing student teachers in Ireland going out teaching about distant places and not actually reflecting on what their own perspective of that distant place was in the first instance. Or did they actually have any knowledge of this distant place? Where were they getting their information from? And you often see Africa in particular being taught as a country. And I'm going to compare African music to Irish music and African food to Irish food. And I always have the conversation, you're going to compare 54 countries. And not even that, like it is so much more complexity within that. 
with you know with with Irish little tiny dot on the Atlantic Ocean, our food or our language or our uh, dance or music, and could they see a, a class, a primary class in uh, Kenya learning about Europe, and they're going to learn about European uh, dance and European music and European food? What food would you choose? What language would you choose? What dance would you choose? You know, what, like, do you think, uh, let's flip this on its head for a second here. And they go, oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. But they, 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 come to, they come to university thinking that, yeah, Africa is one homogenous place, um, which is frightening as well. And just, it, it speaks to, I suppose, the level of content knowledge that we need to address, um, which we don't have the time to do as well. So, it's more so making making teachers aware of what they don't know, but not scaring them enough that they avoid teaching it. Then you want them to actually take it on and teach it, but they have to reflect on maybe what their own position is on the subject or on the place before they actually teach it. I think is the important thing there. I think you're right. I think we've looked at local place. You can't understand distant places until you understand your own local, and it can be uh, imagined, seen, experienced differently by different people. What was the photographer wanting us to look at when the photograph was pointed in that direction of our local place? We can make our place look very different. Can we can we pick 10 images of our local place that we would like in a textbook abroad somewhere else to represent our local place or to represent our country? What images will we pick? What what you know like it, it getting them to actually think about that is actually really, really challenging. And then they often they, they're leaving something out and why are we leaving that out and why are we including this and it starts to get them thinking about okay well maybe I'm not getting the full picture here and maybe and there is no that's the the other thing as well is like you hear students and they say we want to present you know the accurate the accurate perspective of England maybe even if they're teaching about you know the UK as a distant place is there an accurate perspective of an of England or the UK is there a, a one correct way of of presenting uh, Brazil, no, and that's the, that's the problem. So like, there, there is no authentic one uh, view or one experience or one reality. It's the fact that there's numerous realities and numerous perspectives, but it's just making children and making teachers aware aware of that as well is the important thing. So we're not going to have all the answers at the end of this unit on on Brazil, but we're going to have more questions and more kind of. Uh, I suppose need to know that you're referring to as well maybe that we might carry out more investigations afterwards I think that's the perfect place to stop geography is about to need to know and we won't ever have a a clear perfect picture because there isn't one listen this has been fascinating thanks Joe I've really enjoyed today it's been brilliant I don't know uh, my apologies to your editors and uh... If you can make this any, I'm not even going to listen back to it. I'm like, no way. Um, but no, thanks a million. I know I just ranted away and oh. Not at all. No, it's really good. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I feel like I'm doing a job interview or something here, you know. <laughs>